Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Yeah. This week's turning out to be a week. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because it's, oh God, it's already May. So it's, yeah, things are, things are getting crazy again, which I think is a good thing. Like it's never been crazy, like never not been crazy. <laughs> That's probably true. So true. Not a whole week at a time. Like it's always like a day at a time. <laughs> right. Oh my God. So true. Anyway, um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a week, it's been a month, it's been a year, you know, it's just, <laughs> right. I know I, it's, I had so much fun that. at the conference. Yeah. Which we got to get into your stories, but like, I'm yeah. learning because of like how busy we've been, like, I'm learning when to say no, which I guess is a good thing. <laughs> oh, that's a very good thing. <laughs> It's very hard for me, but yeah, I'm learning when to say no. Like work asked me to stay late today and I was like, I can't, like, I can't come on, you know, like I got things to do. Yeah. 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 I know I've actually said no to a couple things and it's been weird, but, it is but weird, I'm like, I have it? to. <laughs> yeah. I know. Like I, I hit the point of burnout just because I wanted to do so much that I was just like, I was so overwhelmed. I'm still a little overwhelmed, even though like things are subsiding a bit. Like I just, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like that whole, like you need some recover time to get, you know, over the crazy. So, um, yeah, I'm excited because I feel like we have fewer things this month on our plates than in recent months. Except for the kids. But then it'll be June and no time. And then it'll be ACVIM. So (laughs) Yeah. See, and then June and just with like my personal life, like June is ACVIM. May doesn't have much except for the kids get out of school in May. Mm. Um, so that's something. And then June is ACVIM. So that's traveling. July is birthdays, like all the birthdays because oh, my birthday right. is included. And then the kid's birthday. August is Connor's birthday and school restarting and your birthday and my mom's birthday. Like it's everybody's. <laughs> yeah. Heavy two months (laughs) I know well so mine is like it goes from ACVIM and then a little bit of a break and then another conference and then families coming from Europe so I'm like doing some stuff with them and then it's birthdays and then there's like another conference (laughs) and it's just like (laughs) so you know yeah see at least after conferences for the year like I, I finally like set a cut off limit and I'm just like okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah no I've got I've got one other one in the in the summer I don't have any well that's not true I have my work one in October that hopefully hopefully we'll be going we're still like super making sure it's it's we're making sure it's actually going to happen this year um, just because the last two years we've done virtual with COVID yeah so we want to go back into in person and it's like a whole thing and so we're just, we're just making sure because I, I, I love our work conference. It's, 
um, it's grown over the years and which has been really nice. And so hopefully, hopefully we'll still, hopefully we'll still get it done and no issues, but we'll see. Um, and I'm sure I'll be a big part of that since I'm in learning and development. So (laughs) yeah, I'm sure. Well, speaking of learning and development, uh, well, first (laughs) you got to tell us about your conference. Oh yeah. It was so much fun. So thank you, Erica. Um, she listens to the show and she was the one actually reached out to me and got me the, the, the speaking gig, which was pretty sweet. Um, it was for the San Diego County Veterinary Medical Association. Um, and they do, um, twice a year conference, basically, um, one that's doctor and then a technician side. And so it was really fun. I got to, I got to see a couple of people that listened to the show. So hello, everybody that I saw, and then, you know, maybe got some new listeners. So if you're a new listener after the conference, uh, welcome. We, I, I was, it was nice. Cause like, I just, I flew down there on Saturday and, um, I lectured all day Sunday. So <laughs> one of the things, so yeah, uh, I mentioned it in to a couple of people, but there was the skunk incident Saturday night around midnight. We had, I woke up because somebody was like pounding on the doors and I couldn't quite tell what they were saying. And I thought maybe it was like frat boys. Cause I was like, it's San Diego, you know, maybe it's some drunk frat boy just pounding on doors. And then, um, they came around again and then I realized they were saying security, everybody out. And I was like, what in the world is happening? So like I got dressed and the person across the hall from me is like, what's happening. And I was like, I have no idea. So we kind of go downstairs and then I see a bunch of people out in front of the building. And I was like, okay, well, it's not just me. So I go meet with these people in the front of the building and they're like, oh, there's like a gas leak. And so we had to get everybody out of the building. And so they had to get the San Diego fire department out and they like, it took like an hour to clear the building to make sure there wasn't anything. And it turned out it was a skunk. And so somebody didn't know what skunk smelled like, but I will say this was like one of the most powerful skunk smells I've smelled in a really long time. Like it was in the rooms and in the hallways and it was just so powerfully skunky. But yeah, I was, I was a little tired on Sunday and a little punchy because I missed at that point, it was probably like an hour and a half of sleep the night before. So, um, yeah, I was like, you guys obviously aren't technicians because technicians would know what a skunk smell is in the lobby. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, but it was a skunk. So I think like, even like going to the conference, I had like a little bit of like, oh, to skunk just permeated on me because it was like in my clothes and stuff just from being like in the skunk smell but yeah but after that it was fine I was I was surprised I actually didn't sound too tired for most of the day but (laughs) made it through (laughs) I mean at least you came out with a cool story I know. Well, and I think there was, there was a couple people that were like at the conference too, that had spent the night, the night before. So they're like, Oh, the skunk. So yeah, skunk. Yeah. But it's so funny. Well, we're not talking about skunks this week, but we're talking <laughs> short bowel syndrome, um, which can be smelly too. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. 
short bowel syndrome, also called SBS. It's kind of interesting because it's not super common, but uh, usually it's related to like extensive resection of the small bowel. Um, Which is why, like, according to the studies that I found, like, it's not super common because in veterinary medicine, like, there's not a lot of people who are willing to do such a resection on their dogs or cats. So, especially cats, too, you get, like, a lot of those, like, bowel masses and stuff like that, and people just treat with chemo or don't treat at all. So it's just one of those things where it might be more common if if it were as common in human medicine to have bowel section. (laughs) And I think part of it too, is like, it's, you know, with people, like we can get either like the colostomy bags and stuff like that, or just wear diapers, that kind of thing. But that's not a great option for dogs and cats. So I did read that your your bowel is not good. (laughs) Short bowel syndrome can be congenital, but same thing. It's like where cats are born with like, it would take an explore and measurements to know <laughs> that you have but congenital that's the reason. Yeah, exactly. Which again is one of those things that like not a lot of pet parents are willing to go through. Yeah. Because it's not just biopsies, like it's legit like an explore and you measure the length of the bowels and you just in like you find that they're shorter than the average huh. bowel. Yeah. I read that. That was pretty um interesting so obviously that would be more rare than iatrogenic short bowel syndrome right seriously yeah well and um there's i I don't know like and and here's the thing too is like if you want to remember basics of the gi go back to episode 69 which was back to basics gastrointestinal so you can remember kind of like what happens in which part of the bowels um So just remember kind of how the bowels work. (laughs) Um, And we kind of touched on this last week too, or the, you know, the last episode is when we're talking about microvilli and absorptive, you know, surface area, when you start removing chunks of intestine, like you're reducing the amount of absorption that can happen. And if you get a significant amount of that, you're, you're gonna, you're really gonna upset homeostasis. <laughs> like, homeostasis gets very bad. So, yeah. Yeah. So there is a state of like malabsorption and malnutrition that can result from like a lot of resection of that small intestines or large intestines that can occur in the large bowel too. It's just more common to resect part of the small bowel than it is the large bowel. Um, so therefore when we speak on this today, we'll probably touch more on the small intestines than the large intestines, just cause it's more rare to deal with the large bowel. Um, but yeah, it can be congenital or acquired, but acquired is most often what we see when we do see this. And as Yvonne was saying, there's just like that decreased surface area of the small intestine. So we're losing those microvilli that the microvilli are there to gain surface area. Um, cause basically if you, if you think of a single microvilli versus just a flat, por- which there's not a flat portion of the bowel, but it, if there were <laughs> the like amount a piece of, of paper, <laughs> yeah, piece of paper versus like, um, accordion paper. Yeah. Like a fan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you have 
extensive resection of those bowels and obviously all that area that can absorb water and nutrients. Um, and the main thing is, is the nutrients because we're, we're losing the ability to properly digest and absorb nutrients within our food or from the food. Um, and then you also like in turn get electrolytes imbalance as well as other deficiencies um, because of this. Mm. So quick, quick basics here. The small intestines runs from the pylorus to the ileocolic valve before it turns into the large intestines. Um, and then the main function of the small intestines is to digest and absorb mostly nutrients. Um, and then of course it's also, it's other job is to move things through into the large intestines. Um, and then of course, within the small intestine, we have the duodenum, jejunum and ileum. And then each of those different parts have their own functions, which we've touched on a little bit in the back to basics as to what they do. So definitely go back and listen to episode 69 if you want to hear more about that. Um, but do you know, cause I learned this, that with, um, the, like with small or short bowel syndrome, I want to call it small bowel syndrome, but it's just cause <laughs> we're talking about the small bowel so much. Um, did you know that it can also affect hormone? Well, I mean, like you should know, but it affects hormone levels too. Cause you know, huh. I mean, that makes sense because if you don't have the micro new you know, micronutrients to produce the hormones, yep. then you're going to have issues with producing hormones. That sucks. Yeah. All sorts of bad. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, like we talked about it in the PLE episode and stuff like that, you're going to have loss of um, absorption that way too. So a lot of these patients get PLE. Um, mm. <laughs> uh, is a common clinical sign of these patients sometimes. Uh, but typically this is going to occur when these, when these animals have had 75% or more of the small bowel removed. So it does take a a substantial amount. It's not like removing 5% of it. And then you're likely to see a problem because the bowel can compensate for some removal, but when you remove 75% or more, it's like the kidney, you just can't remove that much function of it for, before it becomes a problem. Yeah. And it's crazy because like, there's, there's a, a a lot of reasons for your resection and anastomosis. Right. And so one of the big things that, that we think of an internal med or well, in veterinary medicine is like foreign bodies, like those repeat offenders, if they've already had like an RNA in the past and we're having to remove even more. I mean, that's when it really becomes an issue. Um, if they have volvulus, right. And we've cut off circulation to the intestines, depending on how bad like a GDV is, um, if they have an intussusception, so, you know, foreign body parasites, those kinds of things that can cause intussusception, um, trauma. So, um, I think of like, if you have like, um, a penetrating wound and now all of a sudden you've got like part of the bowel is dying off because maybe it hit like a blood vessel to the, to the bowel. So like, there's just, there's a lot of ways that can happen. Um, other reasons would be like infarction. If you've got, um, blood loss to a part of the intestines or even fungal infection. Um, I've, the times I've seen it, it's mostly been involved with those repeat offender, like foreign bodies. Yeah. um, And I've seen it where, stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and and it's kind of, oh, yeah. And it's crazy because it's, it's one of those things that, you know, the things that we're going to see is going to be like really loose, watery diarrhea. Um, we can see a lot of weight loss because again, they're not absorbing their nutrients. Um, and if it's like, if we've done surgery, um, the, the first like one to two days post-op, that's where we're going to see a lot of diarrhea, a lot of, um, electrolyte imbalance imbalances that happen because, you know, we've just disrupted shocked the huge yeah (laughs) you've done a lot of stuff that the body's like whoa what just happened um so you know we're gonna look at like low potassium and low sodium levels and all sorts of crazy stuff from from post-op so um and once that's kind of the shock has kind of gone away um a lot of times we'll see these animals become polyphagic um, yeah, because they're trying to take in all those nutrients and just mm-hmm. unable to hold the body's them. like, I'm starving. And they're like, okay, I'll just eat a bunch. So it's like, <sighs> yeah, they look like the typical hyperthyroid cat. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. And wasted and, but just like constantly hungry and can't keep it on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, the intestines can't adapt though and it can actually undergo different like changes that you can see with biopsy um as well as different functional changes too just because again it's trying to adapt to just keep the the dog or cat in like a a nice nutritional balance um but sometimes if if it's just too much it just can't quite handle it but the body is amazing because it really can adapt to those changes because if you think about it like you remove 75 percent more of the small intestines but if you remove 50%, yeah. the body is just like, this sucks. And then it's like, now we're good. <laughs> like, yeah. Hasn't quite overwhelmed it, but it's like, whoa, dude. <laughs> yep. The small intestines knows exactly how much to take on <laughs> before it has to say no. <laughs> oh my God. We should take it's a- like, I got a this. Yeah. We should take a lesson from the small intestines. Oh God. Yeah. Um, there can be increased secretion of gastric acids. Um, and this is also called hypergastrinemia. Um, oh. it's often reported in patients with SBS, uh, and most commonly seen right after post-op, uh, period, but it does tend to improve with time. Cause as again, as the body adjusts, like it's trying to take in more nutrients. So then therefore it's trying to break down more nutrients. So you have that hyper secretion. Um, but as long as that improves, it doesn't always improve. We'll talk about it in a minute. Um, yeah. But- and, and this could be, this is something where it's not instant improving. You're talking like weeks to potentially months for the body yeah. to kind of like figure out the new homeostasis. Right. Yeah. So ugh. Yeah. So there can be high, high concentrations of that gastric acid. Um, and then in turn, this can cause some GI reflux. Um, it can also cause GI ulceration. It can cause irritation of the small intestines. It can also change the way that fat is digested. Um, Mm -hmm. because there's an inactivation of pancreatic lipase and then, interesting. yeah, there's an, the, a change in the motility of the small bowel 
as well because there's an increased osmolality. So the way that like fluid moves back and forth changes because again, like you think about that surface area, it's, it's job is to absorb the fluid. But when we change the amount of fluid, it's able to absorb, there's going to be a change in that osmolality. Yeah. It's crazy. It is crazy to think of like how the body is able to adapt to that. Cause it's a big shock. Like yeah. it's not a simple, like minor liver biopsy that can just regenerate. It's like, right? <laughs> like you're like, no, some of these Go patients be seen in the, like, so when, so after our post-op phase of when patients are supposed to be adjusting, right. If they're not adjusting, what we're going to see is things like hypoalbuminemia. So again, listen to our PLE episode, um, or hypoproteinemia. And as we know from those episodes, this can be, this can be shown as like edema or ascites. There's a decreased healing ability because we need protein to heal. And then of course, a uh, immune system right. that's really depressed and unable to, the GI plays a huge role <laughs> in our immune function and our immune mm-hmm. support, because a lot of the GI tract is meant to protect the body from outside invaders. Right. So we have that depressed yeah. immune system as well. So those are going to be some of those signs that we're going to start seeing once our patients do start developing the short bowel syndrome. And we're realizing that they're not being able to compensate as well as they normally would be able to. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but like, that's how you're absorbing your like vitamins. Right. And so if you can't get your vitamins and nutrients in your immune system's not going to work appropriately. So like your vitamin B, your vitamin C and all that stuff. Um, yeah, it, it sucks. Cause it's one of those things though, too, that like, once you realize what's happening with the short bowel syndrome and like, you realize that the body's not able to compensate it's hard. It, it can be very difficult to manage and, and help. So there's going to be a lot of things on our differential list, right? Cause we're talking about GI issues. So we're going to have PLE, which yeah. again is a <laughs> symptom, clinical sign, not an actual disorder. Uh, we're going to have, um, on our differential list, things like, uh, parvovirus, depending on the age of the pup or dog, um, vaccine status, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we're going to have uh, foreign body, parasites, uh, Addison's disease, infection, um, pretty much anything GI, (laughs) all the things GI related, all the GI Uh, (laughs) injectasia is going to be on the list because we just lymphoma for sure. Definitely lymphoma. Um, or, you know, other masses, if you see a big mass, different types of cancers. So yeah. But if you review the record and you see that they've had a recent RNA, um, or not even recent, just like somewhat recent within the past few months. Um, and they have that history of having a resection done, like then it's going to move short bowel syndrome to the top of your list. Uh, yes, they can have other issues while they have respected bowels and not have short bowel syndrome, but again, short bowel syndrome is going to move to the top of our list if we have a history of resection, but again, can be congenital. So it should be on the list. Yeah. And I think too, like most of the times the doctors or the surgeons are the ones that are kind of having that conversation and hopefully, right. They're having the conversation (laughs) pre-op, um, instead of post-op or actually not post like intra-op. Um, because you know, this isn't, 
this isn't just like cut out the foreign body and we're done. This is months worth of like recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, and some clients just can't handle chronic diarrhea or the, you know, weight loss and the ascites and like all that stuff. So it's, well, and when you throw in too, because humans and animals are different. So when you throw in quality of life as well, uh-huh. like animals can't compensate as well as humans can, because again, as you said, there's like a, a coloscopy bag and, and things that humans can do yep. to help their body cope with the losses versus it's just not a thing in animals. Yes, we can place feeding tubes and peg tubes and things like that, but we're still not able to pump in the the amount of nutrients that the body needs to hold and we can't control the stool either um so that's definitely hard so our diagnostics are definitely going to be surrounded around all of our gi our our typical gi workup but (laughs) diagnosis is going to be based on like clinical signs and history of an extensive small bowel resection um we're going to run our basics biochemistry cbc T4UA. We're going to do x-rays or an ultrasound to take a look at everything and look for those masses and, and look for foreign bodies. Uh, a GI panel malabsorption panel is always going to be on our list when we're dealing with anything GI and it's going to show low B12 because especially if there's been that, uh, ileal junction, um, resection. Ileocecalic. Yeah. Which is about that sphincter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you want the ileum. The ileum like absorbs B12 and that's mm-hmm. what helps maintain bodily functions as well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this is going to be, a lot of treatment is going to, I know we're kind of running through this, but there's not a lot to talk about when you talk about like resection of a lot of bowel and then yeah. like, <laughs> having short bowel syndrome, like they go hand in hand. Um, yeah. But a lot of the treatment is going to be just kind of maintaining the pets and, and, ensuring quality of life, right? Like we we can't do all the things that humans do. We can sure as heck try. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to want to- Yeah, I was going to say, it's like that immediate post-op too versus like transitioning home, Yeah, right? Immediate post-op, you're dealing with all the electrolyte imbalances that are potentially happening. You know, you're maybe dealing with the protein loss and all that stuff. So it is a lot of- um, technician care when they're For in the sure. hospital and hygiene um, care. Like, and that's hygiene. a lot of tech work it's a lot of tech work <laughs> yes the surgeon does their job and then it's the tech's job to monitor and maintain a patient after <laughs> yeah and it after. may be that you know maybe we have to do tpn um to help with like in- increasing the nutrition that these patients are getting um, you know, we don't want to totally skip the intestines because um, we do want to try to get them moving and functioning. Yep. And we have to feed the intestines. So it's like, we can't completely bypass it, but we could supplement with, um, parenteral, uh, nutrition, yeah. whether that's total parental or, or um, partial parental, but and those need Never to be fun. like if you're going to do total parenteral that's with the central line so again tech work here because you got to maintain a central line and make sure that that's adequately and efficiently going into the patient um, without bacterial contamination it's a lot of work to maintain these patients after <laughs> a procedure yeah. like this yeah um, but great use of tech skills great use of technicians in general 
Uh, so definitely don't be scared of it. It, it can be daunting, I think, but yeah. And these are, these are the guys too, that you're doing small feedings kind of frequently mm-hmm. because we, if we give a too large of like a food bolus, right. That, that makes the intestines stretch more, dilate more, have to work harder to, to digest all that stuff. So if you give them small amounts frequently, the intestines are going to be able to handle that a little bit better too. So we just want to make sure we're not giving them like twice day feedings. It's more, you know, every two to four hours, just a small amount to kind of keep those guts moving, help with the absorption and stuff like that too. So. Yeah. For long-term care in these patients, sometimes laxatives are used. Uh, I know it sounds counterintuitive, um, but not all patients have diarrhea. Like some will have just a very difficult time passing stool. Um, Mm -hmm. Those patients specifically need to be monitored for hydration status, just to make sure that they're not having too much losses. And then I'll get to it a little bit towards the end, but surgery can also be considered after all treatment options have been exhausted, but it's not ideal to go back in surgically because there's not, you can't put the bowel back. So it's not like there's a lot to do. Yeah. Basically you want to really try to medically manage these patients quickly and aggressively from the get go to try to better manage them and, and, support that possible SBS that could happen. So a lot of these patients will have long lifelong medications of, we're going to have our typical medications, right. Of like our medications that prevent diarrhea. We're going to have our anti-diarrheals on board, depending on what part of the bowels were removed. If there's some disruption of the pancreatic duct, you can have you can need supplementation of pancreatic enzymes, which again, just a hint can cause gum bleeding if your patient is on pancreatic enzymes. Oh, oh, that's right. <laughs> I remember. Yes. Jordan had that issue. <laughs> yeah. It was, a, it was a good learning experience. Like it, it's right. not ITP. <laughs> it's probably pancreatic <laughs> enzymes eating away at the gums. Oh my God. I wouldn't have gone there. I'd have been like, oh my God, we have a bleeding disorder. Yeah, I think it's so common to just go straight to bleeding disorder. (laughs) Yeah. In our patients with short bowel syndrome, it can be common for them to have bacterial overgrowth. So SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So a lot of these patients are on antibacterials, things like metronidazole, which also helps with stool, tylosin, amoxicillin, tetracycline, things like that. Oh, what I read, which I found was interesting because it just sounds... I don't know. It sounds scary to me, but a lot of patients with small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, I guess antibiotics are changed frequently just to prevent antibiotic resistance, which does make sense to me. Hmm. It's just like the word frequently that I think freaks me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, uh, what, what does that mean? I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Sounds like a doctor problem to me. Right. <laughs> The other thing too, like to kind of go along with the antibiotics is like prebiotics and probiotics, right? So helping, helping have that, that the food, the nutrition for the good bacteria 
So um, you can have like psyllium or methyl cellulose. Um, and then, you know, using, using a probiotic that, you know, it's, it's, you're going to be using the more expensive probiotics and definitely the, the venerium one. Yeah. Yeah. You want the hefty probiotics in the billions, not like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, not don't do the yogurt. Yogurt's not going to be enough. There's not enough cultures in there. Um, so a lot of these, so we talked about the hyper secretion of gastric acids. So the, this mm. can also be controlled with our lovely proton pump inhibitors and H2 blockers. Uh, mm-hmm. So things like amiprazole, smetidine, and ranitidine. And we talked about it briefly. So I'll just give a little like heads up that we do plan on having a pharmacology episode at some point to talk about all the like GI meds and, <laughs> and their uses and like their classes. And stuff. <laughs> stuff that, like in tech school, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> right. Oh my God. Seriously. <laughs> and this is one of the cases where I don't use this drug very often, but like an anti-diarrheal. So like loperamide, mm-hmm. um, or you can use opioids, um, sometimes. So like not, you know, maybe you're not using one that has a lot of pain management, but it is still an opioid. So, um, you know, we can use some of those to slowing down the gut a little. Mm-hmm. So increase that transit time in the, in the intestines just to like, let the guts slow down. And then, you know, they, it has more time to absorb the fluids and like, ideally that decreases how much diarrhea you're having. So increase the amount of time for the the body to absorb what it has, because now it's got reduced area. So we want to increase our time. (laughs) And then, you know, hopefully that can help with like decreasing the fluid that's still in the stool that, you know, we're losing nutrients and all that stuff in fluids. Protein, so. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. and then as for diets, we're just going to keep it simple here because I would like a nutrition tech to actually talk on which diets specifically would work well for these <laughs> patients, but highly digestible and easily absorbed diets. Yeah. And, and when I was looking at, um, the small animal internal medicine for vet techs and nurses, um, textbook, like they did talk about doing a low fat, highly digestible diet. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because of like the whole pancreatic duct and all that stuff. So yeah, you don't have your nutrients in there that are able to break down the fats like they normally yeah. would. So, yep. And this may be one of those times where you might need to get a nutritionist involved. So like have a diet specially formulated for these patients that maybe have increased nutrients in the density so that they don't have to eat as much. So it's like nutrients dense kind of food versus, you know, the foods that are going to be more fillers. Um, so you just kind of have to see what the nutritionists would recommend and they would work with the doctor and figure out the best, you know, best diet for these patients because, you know, they have to increase the B12. So it absorbs as you know, well, or we're giving injections. And, and so that's just all stuff that, you know, having that conversation with the veterinary nutritionist could really help these patients. And I think the biggest part of this is your client communication, um, Mm -hmm. because they have to understand what they're getting themselves into, um, and the things to watch out for. Um, so the biggest part of that is that malnutrition, Mm -hmm. um, 
so just making sure that they, they know what to look for when it, when it comes to malnutrition. So like poor hair coat, decreased energy, all that stuff. And then when it comes to larger things, like as we talked about them having a kind of suppressed immune system, they're going to have poor wound healing. Uh, they can have a non-regenerative anemia that can be mild to moderate. Um, again, we talked about the ascites and the edema that can occur from just losing the, those proteins. Long-term, these dogs are going to be more sensitive to the normal everyday life that they should be having. <laughs> yeah. A simple broken yeah. toenail might not be a simple broken toenail for them. Yeah. And, and to, the big thing too, to remember with these is when we're talking like quality of life with clients is to give these, these dogs a chance. Um, there's, there were some studies that showed that it took a couple of months for them to get back to somewhat normal con- stool consistency. So yes, it can be very frustrating to have to deal with like the diarrhea all the time and all these issues. But if, if we give the body enough time to kind of heal and find its balance, um, it is possible. So, you know, don't just go, oh, it's been two weeks and we're not improved. We're going to euthanize. Like that's, that's not, (laughs) that's not this, this disease. Like we're, we're talking some months really having to work with them and, and balance nutrition and, and make sure we're not getting dehydrated and all that stuff. Um, and let the body really heal and get back to a, a homeostasis for the new norm. <laughs> so don't you think we should make a homeostasis shirt? Yeah. I feel like we say it almost every episode. We say it a lot. Yeah. I've gained a greater appreciation for homeostasis since doing this podcast. <laughs> Like, oh yeah, everything's homeostasis. Everything's homeostasis. Literally everything. (laughs) Clearly, because every tip of the week is homeostasis. (laughs) If someone is good at drawing and wants to draw us a homeostasis t-shirt, dude, hit me up. I'd be willing to see it. (laughs) I know someone who might be interested. I could probably talk to her. Yeah, we need to see. We need to see what we can get. Yeah. I love homeostasis. If I could figure out how to do a homeostasis tattoo, I would. Ooh, also, don't tempt me, figure, girl. If I could figure out how to do a hematology tattoo without looking like I'm in a gang, I definitely would. Wait, but <laughs> you could do the cells. I don't think the cells are going to be like gang looking. <laughs> no, I just like. <laughs> like, yes, if you have blood pouring down your arm, yes, that's going to look like a gang. But <laughs> you could do the cells. You do the cells. Yeah, I thought about doing the cells because I think that would be really, really cool. One day. One day. I have a list of tattoos that I obviously need to get. I I know, that's true. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, What I should have done, because you know how I have my fingers tattooed, like what I should have done, I should have had my veterinary related. Well, I like my beach hand. Maybe on the other side of my veterinary related hand, I could get each of the white blood cells. Oh my gosh. <sighs> Someday you're going to be like 50 and you're going to have like no clear skin. I don't think I'll ever go that far. I have specific areas that I will never tattoo. Okay. All right. All right. Like very <laughs> specific areas. <laughs> you're like my face, my face, my neck, pretty much anything from my like chest up because I have my collarbone phobia. Oh, true. True. I can't even really do my chest because it's too close to the collarbone. Oh, 
I have a little bit on my shoulders, which also rattles my collarbone. So I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so You're like, I can feel it. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. In case anybody wants to know what my tattoo ideas are, <laughs> I wear not to. Right. Uh, yeah. Everybody thinks I'm weird when I talk about my collarbone issues though. It's just a thing for you. It's okay. I don't like them. Yeah. I, I could do without them. <laughs> no, you couldn't. That'd be really weird. I could squeeze through things if I didn't have them. Yeah, but you wouldn't be able to really use your arms appropriately. Tip of the week or- is homeostasis. <laughs> tip of the week is homeostasis, right? It's true. That's like the tip of the like podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when was the last time you saw a, a small bowel resection? How did it go? What was the cause of it? Um, I'm interested to hear because it's been a hot minute since I've been involved in anything like that. <laughs> I was like foreign body. It's the tip of the week. Well, you still do surgery. Like the last thing that I saw yeah. that had a resection was like an innocentception. Mm. And we turf it yeah. to surgery and we and never see it And now for the question again. of the week. It again, it has short bowel syndrome. Oh, right. <laughs> so that that's one true. must have done well. <laughs> oh, that's so true. <laughs> All yeah. right. Well, um, let us know about your intestinal resection stories. I know for me, I had a patient actually that had megacolon. Um, and it was horrible. So had a Um, large power section. Yeah. And they, the cat, it was a cat, um, did fairly well afterwards. It was kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, that was like not ideal. (laughs) We did not want to do a large bowel resection. Um, but, but the cat did pretty well afterwards, um, felt a lot better than always having constant and it wasn't even like it was hard feces. It was just like, it, it was a motility. It was a motility issue. Yeah. Um, so, yep. It's crazy, but I have pictures somewhere. I don't have a good resection story. Cause again, haven't done surgery. <laughs> so, all right. Well, you guys let us know about your resection stories and then, um, yeah, we'll uh we'll do some more GI next week. Yeah. And uh got a couple of episodes on GI and then I don't I don't know if we've decided what's next, so we'll we'll figure that out and let you know. <laughs> if anybody has any um suggestions or what they want to hear, let us know cuz we're we have a list of things. We're just trying to decide what order to put them in. Yeah. And then um for you guys in the membership, we've planned out May and June CEs. So definitely check out the member dashboard to see what we're, we're talking about. Cause it'll, it'll be kind of fun. So, um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening and we will talk at you guys next week. Bye. All right. Bye everybody. And then um, 
for you guys in the membership, we've planned out May and June CEs. So definitely check out the member dashboard to see what we're, we're talking about because it'll, it'll be kind of fun. So, um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening and we will talk with you guys next week. Bye. All right. Bye everybody. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.